Oh, I'm ready, Peyton. I hope you are, because this episode was great and fantastic, as all the other ones are. Yeah. Today, we 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 did a lot of cool stuff. Um, it's beautiful today. It is. It's so beautiful. But, you know, it, there's always the highs and the lows. It's a great time today, you know what I mean? But then tomorrow, it's going to rain all day long. But I love right? the rain, Peyton. You do? Yeah. It helps me sleep. It. I, I don't know. Just like... I feel like everybody's a big like, oh, sunny day, 75. Yeah, true. I want it to be like 52, wind blowing, little bit of rain. Rain. Nice. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. I like that personality of you. Thank that's, you. That's neat. Thank you. It's I've great. never heard of, I've never heard you say that. Before. Really? No. That that's that's kind of surprising. Yeah, that's pretty cool. We I, are I like that. We're very close again to each other, too. We are. We're on one mic, ain't we, Ron? We are on one mic. It's interesting. It is. Oh, Meg wants to talk. We Meg. gotta swivel, swivel, swivel. I just have a question about Groundhog Day because I didn't know what Groundhog Day what that day was until this year. Um, who's Puxawani Phil, and is he wrong? Because he said he said that um, spring was not coming early, but it's like sixty five degrees today. Well, Meg, um, I guess because of my education in public schools in West Virginia. Every year, I was briefed on Groundhog Day. Do you know about Groundhog Day? Babe? I do. I do. I knew. I know it really well. You know it really well. Yeah. I, I think we should educate Meg. Yeah, Groundhog good. Day is a very weird day in America. It is. If you're not from America, if you're not, but if you are from America, you know what's going on. These people in these tall hats that looks like they, they look like they just got done with a community production of a Christmas Carol. Exactly. Go in the woods, and there's like every news truck ever is there, and um, there's a groundhog in a hole. And they pull him out. And if he sees his shadow, shadow. does that mean six more me- weeks of winter? Yes. But if he doesn't see his shadow, that Spring's means that spring early. is coming soon. This doesn't seem like a very scientific process. And I'm very confused by that. Uh, I just Googled a Puxtawani. Is it Puxtawani? Phil? Why would they name the groundhog? One. Two. Why is he holding it up like it's Lion King? It's culture, Meg. I think it's... Uh, what are your comments? What are your thoughts on this, Peyton? Um, I- it's really interesting. I think it's a tradition here that Maggie need to jump on board with. Okay, okay, but you know, it's uh, I don't know. It's it's pretty cool. I like how he's holding it up. You know, it's like Lion King. It's very very uh, proper for the setting. You know, I want to know if we're gonna have a longer winter or a quicker spring. I feel like sometimes he's. I feel like sometimes he's wrong though. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be real, because just like us, he's fallible. He's he's capable of making mistakes. You know, I don't think we should judge him for that. No. Also, I feel like that's definitely not the same groundhog since like that I watched in like 2004, you know? Yeah, exactly. Uh, from my very, very uh, thorough TikTok research on the subject, there have been multiple groundhogs. This one's name just happens to be Puxtawani Phil. Um, I don't I really don't understand this. Uh, I didn't know that Groundhog Day actually meant. I, OK, when I say I don't know what groundhog, that I didn't know what Groundhog Day was. I knew that Groundhog Day was a thing, but I did not know that there was actually a real groundhog like a, that was a part of this day. I just thought it really had to do with nature and our subject for today, and I just thought I'd ask somebody because I had no idea. Well, Peyton and I are groundhog experts, so we're happy to answer. I guess I guess our fans can write to us with groundhog questions now, right? They can. I think we should get a pet here. You know what I'm saying? We should get a pet? Yeah. We a should get a groundhog? groundhog? Yeah. You know how cool that would be? I don't think it would be cool. Oh, okay. they kind of scare me. I'm okay to pull them out of a hole uh, once a year and have it predict the weather. But um, other than that, I think we should leave them alone. Yeah, leave them alone. Yeah, good that's, idea. That's crazy. Tear speaking, my room up. Yep. Speaking, speaking of the outdoors, Peyton, 
and Outdoors Meg. and Meg. We had Dr. Outdoor on today. Dr. Outdoor, man. I don't think that's his name. His name is Dr. Dr. Ed Davis. Davis. Oh, my gosh. What a cool guy. He was cool. I liked it. He talked about collard greens. He talked about collard, collard greens. greens. I've yeah. never... I've never been more interested in in like the science of food until until he got on here. Oh yeah, such he a got cool to dude. Spread his mind a little bit. Yeah, it's interesting. Very. Mm-hmm. I and like, like that, yeah. I he's 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 also one of those like main character professors at Emory and Henry College. Yeah, you yeah. Know? I get what you're saying. Like he, he everywhere you go, he's waving, he's talking, yeah, you he's saying how are you. And he was walking. Yeah, like, I see. Uh, yeah, I seen him walking today. Yeah, so. and like whatever project you want to do, he'll support you yeah. on it and help you all the way. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Well, let's let's not let's not talk about yeah, it no, any longer. Let's, quit let's talking, just hear right? from him. Let's hear from him. And maybe Peyton, we can go and find a groundhog after the episode. We're getting on it. Updates to follow. Here is Dr. Ed Davis. Hey, welcome to Studio B, the Emory and Henry College Bonner Scholar Podcast. Join Ryan and Peyton as they discuss themes of place, community, and common ground. This is Studio B. Beautiful. We're back, Ron. We are back. We're back. We're back. And Peyton, yet again, we are very close to each other. We are. Yeah. We're using the same mic. We're using the same microphone. Yeah, we're like. It's bringing us together. Yeah, we're really close. Speaking of bringing us together, we're sitting down today with Dr. Ed Davis. Dr. Davis, how are you? I'm well. It's nice to be here. It's nice to have you here. Can you you tell us where you are right now? I'm in the lab in MS because my office uh, doesn't get good Wi-Fi. So I, so I carry, sometimes I do this. I carry the laptop from my office down here to the computer lab where it does get good Wi-Fi. Yeah, that's true. Um, a little off topic. Were you in MS today when we had a little power outage? I was, yeah, it was strange because it came on and all, I mean, it went off and came back on, went off, came back on. And I don't know what would have caused it. I think it's just the experience of going to college in Appalachia. I feel like that might just be part of it, you know? Could be. It could be. So, Dr. Davis, you teach geography, right? Or can you tell us a little bit about what you teach and uh, yeah. your your skill set, which is which is amazing? Well, I teach geography and environmental studies. We we have a wide range of courses in those two areas, and uh, I work with a lot of different programs as a result. Yeah. I don't know how much detail you want about that. We will take anything you are yes, willing to give us. Uh, uh, I've noticed that you, I think you have a new garden on campus, right? Outside of MS. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I saw it the other day and I'm very curious. That's a that's a nice example. So my students uh, in many of my courses take on projects. And so last semester I was teaching a course called Food and the World. And um, the students elected to create a berry garden on campus. So blueberries and chokeberries are out there, but it's an interesting space. It's actually right near me here, um, down on that south facing wall. It's a, it's kind of a, an enclosed piece of campus that was just grass. And the students said, well, why don't we put food there? So this is sort of a movement now to have edible landscaping, to uh, replace lawns with, gardens uh, vegetable gardens 
And the students were reading about that and said, we could do a little of that. So we got permission from the administration to take a piece of ground that's about uh, 15 feet by 40 feet. And those 600 square feet are now uh, a berry garden, but it's just in its nascent uh, stage. It really, it has bushes, uh, it has some um, bark mulch walkway, but it's still a mess waiting for spring. We, we should over the next few weeks, my current students working on it, it's a different course, uh, they're tidying it up and getting some ferns and mushrooms uh, ordered for adding to the garden. That is so cool and a really great example of some of the hands-on student-initiated education we have here, which you have taken some leadership on, which is great. That's cool. That's pretty uh, interesting. That's uh, that we're expanding. That's really cool. I've, I've tried to. I'm taking some of uh, people that's went on tour to show, show them a little bit of progress that we're making there. So it's really cool. Um, Doctor Davis, is there any uh interesting classes that you teach, or I guess you could say that you're one that you have that's your favorite? Well, I I enjoy teaching a core one hundred um, that is called food and place, and so it's it's a it's a look sort of at our region and food but it it also students can look at a lot of other things around that geography and food so for example we uh we read the memoir of a guy who got highly involved with farmers farmers you probably know struggle it's one of the hardest jobs and they don't make much money so we learn about why that is and then uh, we talk about uh well, we do a number of projects related to that, including the College Garden, the Glade Spring Farmers Market. We This past semester in that class, our project included going to the elementary school over there in Meadowview and doing a program with uh, uh, kids there. I think they were fourth and fifth graders and might have been third and fourth graders, but my students had to create an educational program at the elementary school about food, local food, buying from the farmer's market. Um, and they actually brought foods, some unusual fruits and vegetables for those little children to try. So we, we had a fun course. I like that course. That is super cool. I wish I would have taken that core hundred. I still love the one I took. I had, I had Dr. Tal Stanley. So like, uh, I mean, yeah. come on. Yeah. I had him for that one, but that is so cool. You mentioned uh, this region and I'm, I'm sure you know a lot about this region through your geography and through food and place. Uh, are you from this region? Like wh what brought you to Emory? I'm from, I'm from rural North Carolina, but outside Appalachia, more in the Piedmont. Uh, but my father is from the mountainous part of, of North Carolina. And my great grandfather taught at Emory and Henry. Oh, wow. What a cool connection. Yeah, that's I didn't know that until I got the job. Oh, wow. Uh, and I told my mother where my new job was going to be. She said, oh, my gosh, your great grandfather taught there. So do you know what department or what he taught? He taught math and uh, let's see, math and physics, I think. And this was way back. It was in the 1880s and 1890s. He didn't stay. He was only here nine years. He didn't finish his career here. He went over to Sewanee, the University of the South, uh, west of Chattanooga. And, um, but he, he published some textbooks on math, which are in our library. That is, I think, one of the coolest things that, have, that has that's been said on this podcast so far. That is insane. Uh, Hot mathematics. Are you a math person, Dr. Davis? No, no, but. Okay. We so do it have skips generations. 
there's an overlap because he not only did he teach math, but when he was teaching math and physics and I think a little astronomy uh, back in those days, there weren't that many faculty, so he taught several things. He uh, was he had studied astronomy at UVA. He he um, made maps because astronomy and ma and mapping there's a lot of connections, uh, and so. I'm a geographer and I make maps. So, so he published a textbook about making maps and I, and I've made a lot of maps in my life. So we do have a little bit of overlap. there. That is so, so, so cool. Can you tell us a little about, about your education experience as well? All right, real quick. Uh, grew up in rural North Carolina, small town, went to UNC Chapel Hill, didn't learn near as much as I should have, um, went off to, uh, and majored in geography. Went off to UNC Charlotte for a master's degree where I thought I was going to be a cartographer, a map maker, uh, but uh, found that I, I probably wasn't really intended for that. And so I went off to get my PhD because I loved school. Uh, I, I just wanted to keep learning. So I went to University of Illinois, got my PhD in geography, was focusing on political and cultural geography and policy issues. And then I uh, worked a couple of colleges and then got the job at Emory and Henry. So that's my background. That's a really cool background. I think you're a really great example of that. Uh, never lose the mind of a student. There's always something to learn. Just, oh, gosh, just in, yeah. these, in these couple of interactions, uh, I've picked up on that. Uh, you also have some leadership roles on campus too. Uh, I know that you're big with the Emory and Henry Climate Collaborative. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the work that those students do? Yeah, we, you know, when I came here 32 years ago, there was an environmental club. Um, it was small, and it's usually small anyway, but um, the, their college has had an environmental club since about 1970, when the Earth, first Earth Day happened. And uh, they changed their names off many times based on what the students really get excited about. So they changed the name recently from the Emory Henry Greens to the Emory Climate Collaborative. And the reason was they just kept saying, you know, the number one theme for the environment these days is climate and protecting our climate from damage. So, so many environmental issues uh, tie into that, that um, they decided to just call it the Emory Climate Collaborative. And I love that they chose the name collaborative because those students said, they really don't want to see it as just a club. They see it as a connection. So there are like four or five faculty members who are in the Climate Collaborative and their staff members in the Climate Collaborative. And there are even community members who come to some meetings. So it's a, it's not a typical Emory club. No, I totally agree. I like that it's a collaborative and not a club because uh, I feel like sometimes in a lot of our clubs here, they're very much like it's all about students, which is great. But uh, specifically in the collaborative, you're pulling together those community partners, which then establish these relationships that are really, really beneficial after you graduate. Yeah, the, it's it's some of it is what we call intergenerational uh, dialogue that uh, students talking to each other is a great thing. But students talking to older generations, especially on something like politics, politics and policy, they can learn lessons about how to make a difference. And because we're the students here trying to make a difference, they have often talked with uh, in within the climate collaborative. They've often talked with people who have years of experience doing environmental organizing. We've 
we've had um, we've brought in people from uh, environmental organizations to talk about how does change, how do you make change happen, and uh, and so uh, they've there have been a number of examples. For I'll just give you a quick example. Uh, it was this club or group that convinced the cafeteria, Sodexo uh, Food Services, to buy from local farmers. And so they're actually under a policy required by the college that they buy regionally. They buy whatever foods they can regionally. So we do get a number of things. And if you go in, in the cafeteria, you'll see references to that. You'll also sometimes see them buying, the cafeteria will buy food straight from the college garden, the organic garden that we run. Dr. Davis? Yeah. I've got a trivia question for you. It's a, true, right. it's, it's a true or false. Do yeah. you by chance have a lyceum on collard greens? I did. I did record. They recorded me uh, presenting about collard greens back in the, I, I guess it was in the fall semester. Can you, it's, it sounded very interesting. I don't know how I missed a lyceum on collard greens. I would have been in the front row. Can you, can you give us a little elevator lyceum without the credit on, on the collard green talk? This sounds yeah. very interesting. So, so I don't know how long you've got, you know, I could talk for a long time about collard. So you need to tell me how, how big a piece, how many minutes do I talk? One, three, five. You can take as long as you need. Dr. Oh, Davis. I don't know. We'll put you in that three to five. How does that sound? All right. So, so I've, I've been studying uh, Southern cultural geography for a long time. What, is, what does it mean to be a part of the South? And race and class are part of that. Food is a part of that. The landscape of the South demonstrates relationships between food, race, and class. I don't have time to go into all that, but here's a real simple little bit of that. Collard greens um, were brought here from Great Britain in the 1700s as part of the many vegetables that British people brought. That was English, Irish, Scottish, Welsh people. They brought a number of vegetables. And when they did bring those vegetables, those kind of got sorted out. Some became popular, some didn't. Um, uh, other vegetables came from other places. For example, okra was brought from Africa. The collards is an interesting one because although British people brought it, they weren't excited about it. It was one of the lower ranking vegetables in Britain at the time. It was associated with poverty in Britain in the 1700s. And they were moving to cabbage uh, too. Cabbage was becoming more popular because cabbage can store and ship. It's one of the most storable and shippable of the fresh vegetables. So collards, which is the same species as cabbage, by the way, collards was sort of a dying food in the UK. It was eaten. They brought it over here in the 1700s, but it was probably ranked 40th among vegetables. But what does it mean when it gets here, when African uh, peoples, enslaved peoples, uh, deeply appreciated dark leafy greens? The, the collard was the only real dark leafy green that they could access because we don't really have a lot of native wild plants in North America that serve as nutritional dark leafy greens, uh, certainly none in quantity. And so enslaved Africans took what the British people had brought, adopted it. It actually became widely eaten throughout much of the, of the Southeast, uh, particularly 
the Carolinas and Georgia and North Florida as an essential vegetable. Why? Because it's so nutritious, more nutritious than cabbage. It thrives in this soil and climate of the southeastern U.S., particularly on the coastal plain. And it became a kind of a key, key food for particularly poor Southerners, white and black. And um, partly because you can harvest leaves from it in November, December, January, and the plant keeps producing leaves. So in the world of vegetables, the collard is a very important one for the South, and it may be the most Southern vegetable because it is the, uh, probably about the only vegetable that is widely eaten in the South, but not really hardly eaten elsewhere. So it's, I think it's the most Southern food you can get. That's my three minute version, I think. That was the coolest three minute speech I've ever had on collard greens. Well, it's the only speech you've ever had on collard greens, and you you can confess that it probably is. It, I, it probably so, is yeah. the only. Yeah. Is that the only speech you've heard on collard greens? Yeah, no, I think so. Yeah, but it's, it was intriguing. It's, it's intriguing. Yeah, you don't you don't hear much about collard greens. I you know being the world's leading expert on collard greens does not make me a famous person. Not not until this podcast goes out, Doctor Davis. Well, there's that. Until we get, see, like, there we go. Until we get to the exactly. collard green community. Exactly. Yeah. Right. We well, you. Being radio people, you can go look this up. NPR, you've heard of NPR. Um, I showed up on NPR in a in a in a broadcast that went nationwide, and some Emory alums who live far, far, many states away said, "Oh my gosh, I just heard Ed Davis, Professor Emory here. I just heard him on NPR." So you guys, you guys are sort of behind a little bit because I was already on NPR. I, I am also an avid NPR listener. Dr. Davis, have you ever heard of Nature Notes with Rudy Mankey? Yeah, yeah. No, you haven't. I thought I was the only person other than a friend who was from South Carolina who showed it to me. But um, I, for you all and those who don't know, Nature Notes with Rudy Mankey, the episodes are 60 seconds long, one minute, right? And he Rudy is, a, uh, is a, I think, a biologist. And listeners send in pictures of things that they find in nature to him. And he describes the picture and tells you how it goes. He's always like, this is Rudy Menke for Nature Notes. And he talks about this. He like, he'll describe a caterpillar and tell you facts about caterpillars. If I can't sleep, I turn on Nature Notes with Rudy Menke. And I've never had more peace in my life than listening to him. So, so Dr. Davis, when are you going to be, when are you, when are you going to have your own nature notes? I guess is, I guess is my question. Well, that, that, that could happen. I could, I, I've had students do radio shows as their college course project twice. One, we did a radio show in my geography senior seminar on migration, the U.S., uh, Mexican, uh, the border with Mexico and the whole migrant story. We had a great show about that. It included, um, uh, stories they found in print. It included um, uh, music from uh, the immigrant from the border region. The sort of songs about the immigrant experience and data, sort of the science as we track what is what is the exact situation in social science and uh, uh, data on the, the border with Mexico. So that show was cool, and then we did that as a radio show that lasted about twelve weeks, and then. Earlier than that, I did a show called Water, and it was all the different environmental uh, students in the environmental senior seminar uh, who had to bring their scripts about water as an environmental issue. That is so cool. All right, I've got one last question for you, then I'll let you get out of MS. Hopefully the power will stay on for this. 
Uh, one question that I really like to ask in every episode is, is there a moment in your work that you have had that has made you realize that this is where I'm supposed to be? This is the work that I'm supposed to be doing. This fills me up. Yeah, it's usually when I've helped a student figure out what they want to do with their life. That's my favorite thing. I, I, I talk to students in front of a classroom, um, and I love that. But working one-on-one -on -one with students who've been in my class and they come to me and say, well, I've been thinking about what you said in class and it's really stimulated my thinking about such and such. And I help that student figure out something about their own future path, whether it's their career or some else, something else they do in their life. If I can help students find purpose and, and joy in particularly in nature or in travel, that sort of thing, that's, a, that's, a, that what's, that's what makes me happy. What a beautiful answer, especially on a beautiful day like today outside. Well, Ryan, yeah, that's right. You, you, you actually have it's chance to rain here. But, oh, tomorrow. Uh, I know. Yeah, I'm a big weather guy. I think it's supposed to rain uh, starting tonight around midnight or one, and so rain all through tomorrow. You're a weather guy, Peyton. We've got a we've got a doctor here of nature. Uh, is is it is it going to stay this warm, or is it we're going to have another cold snap? Well, I think we, think we all we all know that it's we've we've got more winter to go. More it's. Oh, no. Oh, well, man. it's warm in this podcast studio, so I, I guess that's all we need. Dr. Davis, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on our podcast today and talking well, to I'm us very, about the I'm awesome honored, work you do. Honored to be your guest. We, we were so lucky to have you. Uh, have a great afternoon, Dr. Davis. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Studio B is part of the Emory & Henry College Bonner Scholar Program through the Appalachian Center for Civic Life. Studio B is produced by Meg Askew and edited by Ryan Vaughn. To listen to past episodes, go to anchor.fm slash ehstudioB or wherever you listen to podcasts.